Welcome to The View from the North Curve, a podcast covering all things North Curve Celtic. I'm your host, Kev. I'm joined, as usual, by Tony and by Connor. In the background, a big thanks to everybody again uh, for tuning in. It's been a wee while since we've been with you. The last time around would have been as part of the series on the 40th anniversary of the Hunger Strikes. We spoke with Tommy McCourt, we spoke with Tony O'Hara, a couple of cracking episodes that I hope you've all enjoyed. And this time we're back with you to speak on some more pressing matters that are going on now. There's some stuff planned and coming up this weekend we thought it would be a good time to get a wee chat between us and kind of let everybody know where we're at sort of thing. So we've got a couple more bodies on. Martin and Paul, that he's maybe recognised for some previous episodes. Troops, cheers for coming on again. How are we all? All good? All good in the hood? Good, mate. Thanks for having us again. Thank you. So, Troops, sort of, as I said there, more kind of pressing matters with some stuff planned, obviously, this weekend. Process planned this weekend for would maybe just let Maybe yourself, Paul, if you want to come in, mate, and, and speak, we can maybe start off with speaking about, you know, maybe the, the original demonstration and stuff that was planned, the boycott, and spend a wee maybe five, ten minutes just explaining to people, kind of letting everybody know sort of how we got to here with this stuff happening on Sunday. I mate, no bother. Listen, uh, cheers for having us back on again. Hope must be getting a bit sick of listening to me and Gamble talking about these <laughs> issues, but... The sad reality is that we're in a bit of a fucking uh, state at the moment, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, we badly need the support to come together to take a bit of action, to try and stop the rot, to try and put pressure on our board to act in the uh, best interest to the club and the best interest to the supporters. So a, a demonstration has been called for Sunday, um, as people will hopefully no doubt be aware of. Um, so the plan is to meet at the, the Celtic Way at one o'clock, um, and, you know, try and send a message to the Celtic board that we're sick of it, you know, we're sick of what happened last season, um, but we're sick of the fact that year after year now, um, we're repeatedly uh, ill-prepared for the early rounds of the qualifications for the Champions League and uh, the, the Europa League now as well. Um, we're sick of the fact that they uh, seem utterly incapable of learning their lesson. You know, like, you could have took any kind of random supporter that watched us last season who would have been able to tell you uh, some of the things that needed done, some of the positions that needed strengthened, different ways in which the club so obviously needs modernised. Yet the people who get paid vast sums of money to make these calls have somehow been blind to it. Uh, and the support's had enough. It's as simple as that. It's just, the support's had enough. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can go along... We can still, uh, you know, put across a positive message. You know, we're all behind the manager. We all desperately want him to do well, you know. And it's refreshing to hear somebody who's been as honest as Angie's been. He's been, you know, he's not held anything back. He's been absolutely clear that he's been on to that board. He's been on to our CEO or chief shareholder. And he's told them that we need players and we need players badly. Um, and hopefully you know, we can amplify that message for them. You know, Angie's done it. We've got a couple of new players in um, this week, which is 
positive. It's a bit too late uh, for the Champions League, which is unfortunate, but it's also not enough. You know, we need strengthening, um, you know, really all across the pitch. And um, hopefully what we can do is go and make a demand to the board that says Celtic support has backed that uh, club once again uh, throughout, you know, COVID uncertainty. You know, I said before, there wouldn't have been a single club in the world that sold as many books as we did last season without fans getting in um, and being expected to pay full price. We've done it again, we've renewed in uh, huge numbers. Um, but, you know, Celtic uh, were the ones who are sort of bragging about the fact that on the kind of last day before the renewals, that it was the uh, highest ever sales that they'd had. Um, and they obviously weren't quite savvy enough to realise that the reason for that is that people were holding off. And they were holding off because they were hesitant, because they were unhappy about the direction of the club. They've renewed because of the love for Celtic, because they love following and supporting their team, and because they're all absolutely choking to get back in that ground now that the COVID restrictions are listening. Uh, but make no mistake, there's still unhappiness, there's still anger um, within that support. Um, and what we want is uh, for the board... Um, to really get their act together to help give Ange the resources to the, deliver the success that we all crave uh, and that's what we hope to do for uh, Sunday. I know you've asked a little bit there mate about the kind of original yep. um, like, uh, kind of decision that was taken so we, we intended to have a sort of rallying for, you know, for Ange to welcome him um, to try and give him that support ahead of the the Preston game. Unfortunately, we were given information that uh, the team wouldn't be arriving by bus, so the decision was taken to kind of call off. Um, but really, there have been discussions going on all summer, mate, and that, that's probably what it comes to. So this demo has been called not by the Green Brigade, not by Celtic Shared, but by uh, kind of five different fan organisations, including the North Curve, uh, the boys uh, and the Celtic Trust, who are all working in tandem. You know, there's a uh, real unity across those organisations right now. They're all pulling in one direction um, because we all want what's best for Celtic. So we'd been in discussions over the course of the summer um, and, you know, some of you, and plenty of listeners would have tuned into some of the kind of open meetings as well. So there was an North Curve one, there was a Celtic Shared one, there was a Celtic Trust one. So, you know, not just kind of members, but lots of people were given their opportunities to... Uh, come along to these meetings to air their views, to discuss tactics and so on. Um, and the kind of consensus across all these meetings was that I we want to be positive. A lot of the Celtic support was buzzing, you know, with those videos of Ange, you know, we'll finally get a manager that knows how to coach a football team um, in comparison to what we had last year. That was a big step up. That was something to be excited about. Um, but I think we were absolutely clear that, look, we support Ange, we're back to club by renewing, um, but we expect something back now. We expect to see uh, our custodians run the club in a professional and modern way. We expect supporters to be treated much better than they have been in recent years, and we expect to see an improvement in communications as well. So what we wanted to do there was, you know, we were only saying to people that, you know, you, you can't buy your your way in a, a strip, you know what I mean? And we weren't expecting, you know, a few leftover tops in the superstore to, you know, make Dermot Desmond decide he was going to chuck it and hand his uh, shares over to the supporters. That wasn't going to happen. Um, but what we wanted was to just send a message to say, look, um, we're still deeply unsatisfied with what happened last year, with the performances, with the treatment of supporters and so on. 
And what we want to do is just put the board on notice just to make sure they know that we're still keeping a close eye on this. Um, and unfortunately, what has now... We didn't want to kind of burst that positivity. We wanted to get behind Ange, which is why the demo was about meeting the team and supporting them. Um, but unfortunately, since the football has started, you know, we get into those games, you know, completely unprepared for the challenges of European football. And really, predictably, things start to fall apart. Um, so we're hopeful that the season can still be rectified. It's still very early. There's a lot to fight for, a lot to play for. Um, but we need that board to get their finger out because you can't appoint, uh, you know, it could have been Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho, it doesn't matter who it is. If you don't give the manager the tools to succeed and the players and back him to put his vision into practice, then no manager's going to be able to bring it to success. So what we are saying is, this is on the board now. You know, we've backed them, we're behind and they have to step up and do their part and that's what Sunday's all about. Well said, mate. Um, I think just moving on for that, what you were you touched on there about being prepared for the likes of or sort of feeling to be prepared for the likes of Champions League and maybe the lack of transfer activity. You go back to no appointing the likes of director of football and that Tony Tony will back me up here and say this podcast that we do is not really something that we, we touch, you know, on this sort of stuff on the parks usually, but when I'm saying about, you know, routinely getting knocked out after all the teams over the years, the smaller clubs throughout Europe, um, do you think maybe bring you in, Martin, about the board sort of, and, you know, calling this protest to hold them in account, but, you know, seeing them last year and their, their whole arrogance and their incompetence and stuff and just the way that they treated the supporters in general would you say that's a sort of big big party as well absolutely but I mean I think Paul's um, Paul's already made the the comment there about sort of saving there's plenty of time making a save the season but what I would also say is this isn't even just about this season ahead either this is about you know seasons to come Celtic have been failing to prepare like this for years and years and years. We're already chasing our tail this summer. Regardless of what happens now and regardless of how many transfers or how many people we bring in, we've already been parked out of the Champions League. Mm-hmm. We've already lost however much money we'd get for that. And no doubt that will have an impact in terms of what players we can keep and what players mm-hmm. we can buy. So we're already we're already behind. So regardless of what they do now, I mean, people are like, oh, we need to... Um, Give them time, give them to the end of the window. We don't have, we don't no. operate like that. We, we, our season starts July, yeah. uh, and the board and the club have known that for years and years and years. So it's once again another instance, another failure this year. So this, this on Sunday, certainly for me, isn't it just about um, trying to sort of save the, the rest of this window? It's actually telling them you're repeating your same mistakes year after year, every single summer. And this can't happen. So when it comes to next next year, when it comes to these qualifiers again, hopefully, we're more than ready for it. Yeah. See, see what you're saying there, Martin, as well, that you're saying that your season starts in July. Even our preparation for this season, that, that should have started in December, January, because everybody, we were calling for Lennon to be, give the bump for can't remember for October after the first top game run about then kind of thing. But 
they gave them a chance in January and you saw it still wasn't working. So for the, the fact that it took them for when Lennon got the bump to when they appointed the new manager and even at that, the people working in the background, they know who's no one to be here. Mm-hmm. They know what positions they're going to need filled and how it's took them that long to bring that man in and then to bring the players in. They're still no even brought the players in. Actually, yeah. I mean, it's... it's that, that that background work that should have been happening for January, February, and it's and we're still no doing it there now. There's a there's a certain level of irony for me that we get popped out of Michelin, who by their own admission are in a quite a similar period of transition, if you want to call it. But Michelin are in many ways the, the total opposite of Celtic. They're a, they're about twenty, I think twenty years old. But not only that, Michelin operate in a very modern way and they've got a model that works for them so even though they're at this by by our um by our standards a very very small club they've got a model and a structure in place which allows them to uh, operate more professionally than we do which is a, an absolute shambles michelin appointed their manager at this period of transition in around the same time as Ange was appointed celtic manager in that time they've signed four first team players three of which were ready and three of which were ready to play against us and started against us. Meanwhile, we were scraping about the academy to find a centre-half pairing. It's just really, it's putting us to absolute shame. They're a club that are squeezing every single bit of potential that they possibly can. And we're a massive club that are still operating in a mad, archaic fashion and reaching absolutely nowhere near a potential. And this has been the case year on year on year on year. And it has to stop because we're going to get left behind if we're I mean, not ready. Kev, Kev makes a good point about, like, this obviously isn't the podcast for sort of in-depth football analysis. It's not really what interests any of us, I'd imagine. Um, not that we're not interested in football, but it's no area of expertise, and I'm sure there's other podcasts that are sort of better place for that. But it doesn't take, um, you know, like a, a Jose Mourinho, a, a professional analyst, uh, like someone who watches or coaches or uh, works in football to kind of realise how fucking terribly we've been run. You know, we've uh, uh, we've made we often make a claim about being a Champions League club. We've made the group stages twice in the last eight years, and um, each time knocked out in the qualifiers by a club with fewer resources, uh, a smaller budget. I think the last time we get knocked out by a club with a bigger budget than us uh, in the qualifier stages was when we get beat half Arsenal under Tony Mowbray. Every other time, it's always some club from a kind of provincial league with a smaller fan base, smaller revenue, yet um, what you tend to find is they're a better-run football club than us, um, and that's the exact problem. Um, and, you know, as we've said, it's not just that it's this season, it's it's a pattern. When was the last qualifier we went into? We settled back four. We are full strength 11. It just doesn't happen. Uh, and Tony's right that, unfortunately, we all knew that from the, Jan- the 2nd of January, the league last year was done. You know what I mean? Um, they'd obviously decided they were keeping Lennon for whatever reason, uh, but they had so much time to get in, like a director of football, a, a, a chief scout, whatever you want to call them, somebody to oversee a complete uh, kind of de- uh, you know, sea change in terms of the squad. But we've got so much dross, it's still with us, that we've not moved on. Um, we've got so many positions that are either, um, you know, filled with kind of 
uh, youth players that we're, we're having to squeeze in, or um, you know, we're, we're looking to the bench to bring in players who are you know four or five years past their peak ways. Um, and it's nowhere near good enough. And the problem is that you know, if Angie's saying that the board on the understanding that they needed a few players in, when we probably need far more than that, it tells me that they don't understand the severity of the state we're in as a club. And that to me uh, kind of brings me back to when we had, like, Martin, you'd have been there, when we had the meetings with uh, like Peter Lowell about like, the fan value and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, as well as the kind of public statements that were made. And I want it was just sort of a bit COVID this, you know, bad luck that, you know, poor form here and there. Um, and it was almost treated as though last season was like a freak, you know, just popped up out of nowhere. Nobody's really responsible for it. Um, and, you know, we'll go again next year. But that tells you that they've not learned a lesson. They've not made any changes. I Andrews came in for Lennon, McKay's in for Lawwell, but structurally nothing's changed. The board are still the same. The ownership model's still the same. Uh, we've not changed anything that I can tell in terms of coaching, scouting, fitness, nothing like that. So just be changing a couple of bodies. You're not going to change um, you know, the overall quality of that team and what we are seeing out in the park. Um, so really, it's time for us to go and demand and say, look, the only world class, I think it was Don McKay who said that he wants to make Celtic world-class in all aspects. The only world-class aspect of Celtic is the support. Um, and here we are demanding that that board starts to live up to some of the promises they made when they tried to sell the season tickets. So, Martin, well, Paul had sort of briefly touched on there the likes of the structure of the, the board and obviously the, the demo called for Sunday about you know, holding them to account and the fact that you know, they're only really accountable to their own shareholders. We maybe want to spin this a wee bit to start speaking on maybe the priorities of the PLC and, you know, the likes of Desmond, maybe, you know, others, you, you mentioned the, the likes of the non-execs and different things that are in the background, but I'll let you come in, mate. It's funny you mentioned Desmond, mate, because he'll, he'll, um, he'll be first up for me. He... Um, he released a story, I'm assuming it came through him to one of his cronies in the media uh, on, on the run-up to the Mitchelland return leg, uh, proudly claiming about how he was mere hands-on at Celtic this summer. He was getting involved in the everyday running in the club more, blah, 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 blah. We don't, or we shouldn't, the first point is we shouldn't want or need Dermot Desmond to be hands-on in the running in the club. He's not qualified to do that. Secondly, he said he was going to be more hands-on. And then three days later, while we were getting papped out of Mitchelland, he was at Galway Races with J.P. McManus and other millionaire chums living the life, probably checking the Celtic score on live score if he even done that, if he even bothered his arse to do that. So for me, that immediately made a mockery of him being apparently hands-on. Like I said, we don't need or want Desmond to be hands-on. I personally don't want him there at all. But the fact that he's having to get involved or allegedly he's having to get involved in mere day-to-day running a Celtic shows exactly how fucking shite our structure is because that should never, ever, ever be the case. Aye, I mean, it begs the question of who has been like making these decisions. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, Lawwell was like a kind of renowned micromanager, um, you know, had these sort of tentacles in every single aspect of the club. Um, 
you know, he, he was basically acting as director of football for the last at least five five years or so. So you wonder who has been making the calls. You know, our, our chairman is a renowned idiot. You know what I mean? They lock him in a cupboard, I think, for 364 days a year. And he has to speak occasionally to AGM. And even then, he, you know, routinely manages to make an RC sale. Um, so, you know, without a director of football, without a manager who at least knows the kind of market that we're in very well or the kind of league or surrounding leagues too well, you do wonder who's been making the calls. But I think the important point to make here about, you know, the likes of Dermot Desmond and uh, the kind of board is that one thing that we've kind of consistently said is proponents are uh, fan ownership is that ultimately you can't trust, you know, an absentee billionaire landlord to have the interest of Celtic and the Celtic fans at heart. You can't trust, you know, the uh, vulture capitalist firms who own shares in Celtic to have the same outlook as we do, to share our values, to, um, you know, really uh, see Celtic success as something that's, uh, you know, integral to them. Because ultimately, we're just another marker in their portfolio. You know, they don't care uh, the way that we do. And ultimately, there's nobody, there's not a single person or a group of people who are better equipped to look after the interests of Celtic football club than the Celtic support. That's the reality of it. Um, and what we see now is it sort of echoes the discussion we'd had before. Uh, you know, when I think we were on a few months ago, Kev, you'll maybe remember the dates or whatever, but when we were on talking about the share value stuff and the kind of point that we kept reiterating is that that board are not accountable to the Celtic fans. They are not accountable and they know it. And that's why they felt so comfortable keeping on a manager that was clearly leading us to oblivion. It's why they felt so comfortable, um, you know, liaising with police and putting up barriers and trying to uh, clamp down in any sort of dissent against them. Um, and it's so it's why they felt so comfortable taking the piss out is by charging his full price for a season that, in which we didn't get to see any football live. Um, and now we're just seeing that playing out again. They're complacent, they're arrogant, and they are able to be incompetent because they know that they only need to answer to each other and they've got each other's backs. They don't need to face the ordinary fan. Um, if they, you know, if you were a board member there uh, and you knew that uh, when the AGM rolls around each year, it's not going to be, you know, millionaire chums that... Uh, decide your fate, it's going to be ordinary supporters who make a judgment on your performance and whether or not you merit your place in the board. I can absolutely assure you their conduct would be a whole lot different. They'd be a whole lot more proactive. They'd know they'd need to earn their trust and they'd know that they would have to really push to try to help Celtic achieve its potential. But as it is, they're just you know plain sailing on easy street. They know they're not going to be challenged um, and they know that you know, unfortunately, at this point, the support doesn't really have the hard power or the kind of uh, ability to build enough pressure to really uh, make them feel it. So that's where we need to start as a support. Uh, that, and that's probably, I'm sorry, mate, that's probably a, a, a downfall of the support as well, though, that it, it runs in cycles almost. You see it with a couple of signings yesterday. You see it, you know, on social media. You see just with speaking with people. You know, I'm at my graph today and it's as if it's, you know, just changed overnight because and I'm not saying, you know, the signings are a bad thing, but um, it's just almost that, uh, you know, more than anything just buys them that wee bit of leeway again and, you know, things will get forgotten about in a wee while. 
Ah, it's been but, like a roller coaster of a summer, is it? No, you know that that video at Ange comes out and everyone's buzzing, and I get why people would want to be positive because you like to see Celtic play fast, attacking, exciting football. Um, but then you know we get pumped and people are kind of going on to moan on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, but you know then we sign a couple of players, and I'm relatively happy with the signings. Um, I don't think they're you know going to be bungle beaters, but they're better than what we've got. But again, you know, there's like people's mood just shifts when really what you're uh, looking for is a bit more, um, you know, a, a bit more kind of principle in terms of saying, look, we need to hold this board to a higher standard. Um, and that counts for not just the on the field issues, but for other ways in which they've treated supporters and other issues that matter to us. Um, and what we need to try to do is to, you know, try and build a bit of unity, a bit of solidarity across the support. Um, and hold them to account, you know, uh, much more consistently as time moves forward. One, one thing I will say, Paul, as well, see about you're saying, Kev, about the people that you're grafting all that and everything's hunky dory. I think there's there's definitely like an older mindset, into, well, certain fans that I know that are kind of an older age, they've got a right siege mentality, and it's obviously, obviously because of the way. The history of the club and different stuff like that. It's it seems like there's a kind of always back the club because you don't want to give the press any sort of ammunition or different stuff like that. And it, and it's a comment you'll hear quite a lot. Maybe I hear it a lot from our older kind of boys at workplace, but that is something you see. But they'll say like uh, it's the protesting kind of thing. It's no really in with the history of the club. It's no how we do this. It's no the Celtic way, and. Anybody knows like a little bit about our history will know that's no true. Like for eighteen eighty nine, we had splits and the Quillen went and started Glasgow Hibernians, and then we had the protests about turning into a limited company. You had the break clubs threatening the boycott, and I think it was eighteen ninety six, eighteen ninety seven, because the the board had fucked them all regarding tickets, and there was various protests forties, fifties, right up to the mid sixties where there's trouble outside the stadium about the lack of success. I mean, actually, like the, one of the first ever Celtic fanzine that started, the Shamrock, that happened in the early 60s just because of the lack of success with the team. But again, the support's fickle. They brought in Jock Steen in 65 and everybody's uh, obviously a successful team meant a happy support for the most part. But then when things changed again for... I think 89 the fanzines kind of started. They're not reviews and different stuff like that. And they were protesting like fucking people didn't want to know. And this was the malaise that was going right through the club. People were picking up on that for 89. And nobody was interested. Save yourself started in 91. It was going all right. Cut of different demonstrations, uh, talks and that in the halls. Celtic cut a wee bit of a purple patch. Support didn't want to know. And that kind of fell away to Celtic for change started in 1993, which eventually got the change that happened in the club. But, it, but it's a long slog. And uh, so, like, even though I don't think you'll change everybody's mind, it's important for folk to know that kind of protest and agitation and that it's always been there in the history of Celtic. And although there's no always instant instant change or instant success, it's important that the most, impe- the most important people the club, the fans, we take them to task, the ones that run it. And that's basically what we've been trying to do for the past couple of years. 
think that's sort of the main aim for Sunday. I mean, Paul Martin News can come in off the back of me, but the main aim is just about, you know, getting bodies on the ground, getting trying to build that wee bit of, as I say, these cycles and the, the mood, they, you know, how big the Celtic support is, that's always going to be there. But if we can at least, you know, try and grow what we're trying just now and then try to get that bigger, you know, stake and sort of no, no fan ownership anytime soon, but just more being able to grow something and a bit of unity to, to eventually hold the people that are running the club to account a bit more. In the simplest terms, mate, I am sick to the back teeth of posting on WhatsApp chats and posting on Twitter and social media and reading on WhatsApp chaps and reading I, on Twitter. I think, it, man, I think as well, sorry mate to hang me in, but me and Tony had mentioned before, and maybe yourself, Paul, but everybody's sick of gathering outside the fucking front doors, <laughs> I know, when they say like, way. honestly, absolutely sick, painting banners and stuff, but you know, you're, you're backed into a corner with them. Nah, I know, but that, that's what I mean, mate. There's, see, the thing is, I mean, we've, without what I blow out the, the rain trough, but say, like, shared in the group and that, but we've been doing our bit, but, and we'll, we've obviously, we've, we've kind of put our, our heads above the parapet for the last few years about this, but it needs more than that. It needs fans to actually gather starting this Sunday to get away for their, for their phones and their chats and actually be there in numbers and show them that, no, this is it now, like, we're not going to have this anymore because the time for tweeting and the time for fucking moaning on WhatsApp is done. It's done. So the only way that, that people can actually affect change is actually getting up after arse and fucking being, being there to be counted. And it starts on Sunday for me. So, Martin, you'd kind of touched on there that we sort of call the arms, if you will, but, you know, maybe getting away from social media and, you know, just pushing for just more bodies on the ground and the likes of the demo on Sunday being the best place to start. But I'll, I'll let you come back in, Paul, um, with just more to kind of, we're, we're sort of aware of the time as well. We don't like, you know, these episodes running too long for everybody listening in, but to kind of maybe then wrap up, what, what would you sort of say, mate, as a kind of main aim for the demonstration on Sunday and you know, can lead on for there. I mean, first of all, it's no wonder uh, that Martin wants everybody off social media, given he's been manning the Celtic Shield account and some <laughs> of the nonsense we've been getting today. Is um, there a medal for fighting uh, up virtually? You do, mate. Um, but I, like, in terms of, I mean, first of all, what we want is we want a good turnout on Sunday. We want to have a bit of a show of strength in terms of the, the feeling that exists out there in the support. Um, ideally, you know what I mean, in a, a perfect world, what you want is the Celtic board to then sort of wake up uh, and start to modernise the club, you know, start to bring in players that can deliver success, start to treat the fans fairly um, and start to give us a voice in the club that we all love. But, you know, that's a bit of a tall order and I don't think anybody uh, in their right mind expects kind of one protest to make that sort of change. So what we'll be doing is we'll be same as groups ever done, mate. We'll be there to support the manager, to support the team. Hopefully, we'll be back back in the ground soon and all, and we can give them that sort of vocal, passionate support that we're renowned for the world over. Um, but we've been clear as well. We've been crystal clear that, you know, we are extremely unhappy with this board, with its conduct in terms of how it's treated fans, how it's managed the club. And if they don't 
act, if they don't get their shit together, if they don't turn this around, then it's really, this has to be the turning point, as Martin said, for the support to really start to build hard power and to put real pressure on them. Because if that board won't act to their own accord, we need to take it out of hands. You know, we really need to make sure that they've got no other choice um, but to act in the best interests of our football club. Um, so there's plenty of options, you know, especially with fans going back in. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for protests, for actions, for, you know, the, the type of thing that the group has done for, for years in, in different and creative ways. Um, and, you know, we can build on that. What I'm encouraged by is the kind of unity that you're seeing across the fan orgs that are working together now. You know, we've kind of made a bit of a conscious choice, I guess, um, to shed some of the organisations that, you know, without getting into it too much, we just don't believe we're acting in the best interest of the Celtic support and we're never, ever going to, uh, you know, really challenge the uh, power of the, the Celtic board. But what we have now is we have organisations that do have kind of shared values, that do have a shared understanding of what Celtic should be. Um, and I'm hopeful that, you know, Tony kind of mentions, you know, previous uh, incarcerate, kind of incarcerations of successful um, like protest groups and campaign groups and um, that had a big impact at Celtic. We might not be expecting to have that sort of, you know, huge impact that you've seen in the night and it's anytime soon. But we have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. We have to build hard power and we have to hold that board to account. Uh, and Sunday is the day one of that now because we've had enough of the last year. We've had enough of the kind of piss being ripped out is by the suits in the boardroom. Uh, and it has to start changing now. See, just, just very, very quickly for me, see, even if you think that the, the protest will not change much, why would you know what to go anyway and just so you're like when if if it does go tits up you can say you know what I fucking I done my bit I done my bit I was there I fucking tried if you're you're, do, you're helping n- nobody you learn nothing by staying at home and fucking tweeting about it because they don't care they don't care about it. I mean that's it as well. Like, there's been no doubt. I'm sure sales for change get that as well. Like I remember the fat campaign kind of being told. You know what I mean? Like. What a, what a waste of time, you bams trying to take on a, a government, you know, a national police force, you know, a media apparatus that hates football fans, and even, sadly, our own club who are aiding and abetting the police for a period, you know, and we managed to overcome that. How many times has the group been told, you know, been sort of laughed at in the early years in particular, you know, the ultras, you know, never take off, uh, you know, the wee flag wavers in the corner, it'll never take off at, at Celtic, yet... Here we are, you know, like you're part of the furniture really at Celtic Park at this point. So, I mean, I've said it before, I think I said it in the last podcast, but I'd never be one for writing off the kind of capabilities of the Celtic support if we can get together, if we can be a bit more united, if we can put some of the sort of petty shit aside. Um, and if we can really understand, as I say, like there's, there's so much disunity in the Celtic support, I get that. We disagree on, you know, almost every issue going. But I would hope that we can build some unity around the simple idea that Ciro is running the club, no matter who they are, no matter if it's Dermot, Desmond or anybody else, they should be accountable to the Celtic fans. That shouldn't be a controversial statement. That is something that we should all hopefully 
buy into, agree on, and act on. Um, and as I say, that starts on Sunday for me. And not just to sort of come in quickly as well, mate. Always accountable, you know. Like mm-hmm. Tony, Aye. Tony had touched on earlier about you know sort of start of the nineties before you know sales for change stuff came in and it, how it took or how it was gathering a wee bit of momentum and then you know the team started doing well in the park and it kind of gets sidetracked a wee bit. You know that could happen. I hope it does because I hope we start doing well. I hope we go out and buy probably ten players or more and you know went wrong the league, but ultimately you know a couple of years down the line or five years time from now eh, when the board's still you know not been able to be held to account as you touched on earlier by those that matter most the supporters I mean David Law made that put a tweet and I know he's not always the most popular guy in the support but he's got someone who's got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge on this type of thing he'd obviously been involved in Celtic for change and I seen him tweeting after the, the qualifier when we get put out and he tweeted something, it's no verbatim, but he tweeted something along the lines of that board to become what we replaced. You know, so as much as they were successful in chasing out the old board, his argument was they've just become what we get rid of. And that's the thing, if there's no accountability, that is what will continually happen. You know, it, it's not a case of just replacing these guys with another set um, because eventually if they're no answerable to the support the same thing is going to happen it's a cycle that will forever be repeated and that's why I'm saying you know like I was listening to like a, a podcast or no name the other night and I enjoy it and there's a lot of good kind of chat on it and part of it talking about how better nerds no no I better than your part of it, <laughs> mate, I, but that's a low bar um because you've got a pod, you've got a podcast one every six months or something. Kev, so Kev's always part up for it. Aye, um, okay, I've been listening to his shape part for twenty years. I'm but one of the one of the points that was made was you know about how Desmond should sell his shares to you know someone else that that, that gives a fuck. But like, so if if he sells his shares to some American investor or some Russian oligarch or some Arab sheik. It's not going to change anything. It's still going to be the exact same fucking dynamic we've got now, which is some aloof billionaire who doesn't really care that much about Celtic using us as a plaything um, in developments when we become inconvenient or, you know, when he gets, uh, becomes interested in something else. What we need really is to start building a structural change that means that whoever's in the hot seat, whoever's on that board, um, is answerable to us, and that's what fan ownership is. I, I think a lot of people think that fan ownership is this mad campaign to, uh, you know, uh, install Jeanette Finlay as the CEO and put like one of your capos in the chairman's desk and, and shit like that. When it couldn't be further for the truth, you know, you would still have people in there who are, you know, like experienced and skilled and able to do those jobs. The difference is, is that when the AGMs come around and when uh, this type of thing comes around. They're answerable to the fans who then who um, are able to make a judgment on their performance, and that's that's what we need to start building towards. And it's a slow process, and it's uh, I can have you know potentially not going to happen on lifetimes in terms of that end of it, the fan ownership end of it. But we can start to build uh, real pressure now, and even like I don't know if you've seen it, like the the Celtic Trust had started a a bit of a campaign so they've got a new page on a website that allows fans to like nominate their shares over so uh, approximately if I'm speaking to them approximately 20% 
of uh, the shares that are kind of out there in terms of ordinary shares that allow people to vote. Twenty percent of them are owned by ordinary selling funds, everyday selling funds. So if you could get, I, I think it's five percent of that nominated over. So that would mean that people still own their own shares. You know what I mean? Um, but what they do is they just nominate them to the trust to allow the, the trust to gather them together to vote as one block. If you can get that to five percent which is a tall order, by the way, it's a big ask and worth a lot of money and all the rest of it. But if you get that to 5%, uh, my understanding is from what I've been told is that you can then call a general meeting at any time, which means that if the Celtic support could gather shares they already have, shares that are already out there, then it would mean that we would be able to call a general meeting at any point to question that board, to hold them to account. Uh, sorry, I guess back to your point, Paul, about the... Uh... You know their conduct then been a bit different if they know that half the back of what they're doing they're going to have to be answerable to, you know, even just a even just a meeting, not just you know any sort of ownership, just a general meeting. I we, we might not be voting on whether or not they all keep their jobs, but if you are like one of the complaints, right, is that like with the qualifiers that uh, were never prepared, right? Really, we should be preparing for the next qualifiers now and then the January window and so on. We never do it, uh, and we always rock into the qualifiers. About a centre half, we're a midfielder playing at left back, we're a winger up front, all of that shit, right? It happens year in, year out. Um, but see if the board were thinking, oh, fuck, if we get pumped out, uh, one of the early qualifiers be some mob for Estonia or, uh, you know, say or whatever, then they're going to call a meeting right away and we're going to have to answer for ourselves and we're going to feel the heat. Immediately, as you say, Kev, their, their conduct changes, they become more urgent, they become more responsive to the needs and wants of fans. Um, and that applies across all sorts of different issues. So for me, that's something that the support can practically look to build towards. It might take a year, it might take five years, but trying to build to that 5% is something that we should all be making a target. Um, because as I say, otherwise what you're doing is you're just recreating that cycle of we get pumped out in Europe, we get back onto Twitter to moan about it and on and on it rolls. But if we can build that sort of hard power and support the trust, and that's the thing, like, how many of us will have dads, grandads, moms who bought shares in the kind of 90s or in the 2005 from Lennox Town, and loads of them are just sitting framed, you know, up in the gaff, not being re-registered. Um, but, you know, it's maybe getting to the point that you need to ask your dad, you know, you need to ask uh, your family, your pals, do they, do they own shares and can they nominate them over to the trust so that we can start building that hard power, um, you know, and try and get to get to 1% this season, you know, and then start building it more um, in the hope that if we can get to 5%, the, the whole game changes, as you say, Kev, the, the, as you say, Kev, because they start to think, oh, shit, all of a sudden the support actually has power that can um, cause to question, that can hold us to account. Um and you know that is probably something that we at Celtic Shield are going to be working on and trying to come up with different ways to support that campaign. Um, but it's worthwhile just putting it out there now so that people understand the impact that would have. Um, because it'd be massive. It'd be massive for a football club uh, and for our support. So um, I don't know if Martin looks like he wants to come back in. I hate no, listen, it was just it was really. This is probably just for another day. But I think for me, what became apparent during the shares for value. A campaign earlier in the year was that a lot of fans and actually myself included up until 
maybe 12, 18 months ago, were pretty much turned off and disengaged with the whole kind of um, shareholding agenda. Just never really made sense, didn't really understand it. But now I think that there's a, a, a big need for the sport to be educated, particularly kind of young up-and-coming fans who you know, are going to be around supporting the club for 30, 40, 50 years for them to be educated on the importance of this. And I would urge anybody to start sort of looking into it already. And as, as Paul just said, we'll be doing our bit to really bring it to the forefront of the, the support over the coming sort of weeks, months and even years. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I, think, I think it's kind of important that people don't feel bamboozled Mm-hmm. When people start talking about shares and shareholdings, mm-hmm. because like myself, I'm I'm no particularly intelligent, I'm no particularly articulate, but I know what's important regarding the club. And when you you break it down and say what you say there, Paul, in layman's terms, it's important for anybody like myself who's no really got an interest an interest in the share side of it. How important it is for us for the future of the club and how we should learn a wee bit more about it and, and we shouldn't feel like we're, we're stupid for asking daft questions Aye, 100%. And, and various stuff like that you know what I mean because we need everybody it's, it's as you were taught about grand, grannies grandas dads we need to try to get everybody together that's the thing as well mate it's not meant to be accessible to boys like us it's not meant mm. to be easy to understand because they don't want us you know taking part in these discussions they don't want us um, being able to kind of game the system in the way that they do, you know what I mean? Um, but ultimately, you know, Selic is such a huge integral part to all our lives. Um, and, it, you know, it's a bit like, you know, kind of they the saying a bit like politics and stuff like that. Like, um, you might not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. And it's a sort of similar thing whereby if you're apathetic and, and we as a support continue to sort of disregard this type of stuff, then the people who uh, have kind of different views of Celtic and want to mine Celtic for money and prestige and whatever, they'll be using it for their agenda, whilst we're all, you know, arguing on Twitter about, you know, who should be playing at left back or whatever else it might be. Um, so as much as no, it's difficult... And no, it, Greg, no Greg Taylor anyway, mate. <laughs> don't get me started. You um, But uh, I, like, my point is, is that, you know, we can't really afford... To, to just be dismissing it anymore um, because, you know, we, we can see what the priorities are of the people running the club when we just leave them to their own um, kind of task to, to, to pursue their own agenda because they don't have the interest of Celtic, they don't have the interest of your support at heart. Um, so we need to start building power to try to make sure that we have a say uh, when uh, the time comes. Oh, magic, guys. Uh, hopefully that's give everybody a wee bit better insight on the lead up to Sunday, one o'clock, Celtic Way. Just big thanks, Martin, Paul, Tony, Connor in the background, sorting out all the technical stuff. Big thanks for coming on and big thanks to everybody for tuning in again. Hopefully no be too long until we're back with you. Cheers, guys. Cheers, see you Sunday. Cheers, my cup.